Welcome to today's episode of the Journey into Healing podcast. Today I'm going to continue the series that I've been doing on pride and the knowledge of good and evil. And just as a quick reminder, in case you're just tuning in today, this is an episode I do not recommend for young children because I am discussing the topic of human sexuality. With that being said, let's get back to Hebrews chapter 10. So in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 7, I'm going to read this again. When Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. So going back to the beginning of Genesis, I've said this uh, already in the series, but Adam and Eve, there was this part where Eve chose to do her will, not God's will. She used pride to exalt her what she thought was good above what was God. God said, do not eat from this tree of knowledge of good and evil, for in the day you do, you will surely die. Eve looks at it after having been tempted by Satan and says, hey, this tree looks like it would be good food and it would make me wise. And in that moment, Eve did not the will of God, but rather the will of man. That brought death into all of mankind. Every single bit of death on the earth since that time comes from people not living from the will of God within them, but rather exalting their own will above God. Now, not everybody does this necessarily intentionally. Sometimes uh, these days, because we're a fallen human race, not everybody understands this anymore. People don't understand how to hear the voice of God, how to live from the Spirit of God. So I don't want you to hear any condemnation from me because I'm not here to condemn. What I would like to do is help empower you to learn to live from the Spirit of Christ and to overcome any of the fleshly things that may have you trapped outside of walking by the Spirit. And I've been specifically focusing on the topic of human sexuality this month because it's the month of June. Here in America, at least, people call it Pride Month. And what they're doing is they're using pride to exalt their own desires and carnal fleshly nature above the Spirit of God. And I'm not going to get into it now, but if you actually stepped back and look at a kind of a, a large-scale bird's-eye perspective, what they're actually doing is bringing tons of death to not only themselves, but the world around them. But because there's a fleshly sensuality that feels good to them, it's okay to them. And then there's a whole bunch of people in the world who don't understand what's really going on and that a lot of this is the result of being trapped in the carnal nature, which no human should ever have to suffer being trapped inside of the carnal nature. And yet people don't know how to walk free. Even many ministers don't know how to walk free from this. That's actually something I'd like to address really quick, and then we'll carry on with Hebrews. But I've been in a number of churches where the pastors fall into sin, where the pastors don't even believe it's possible to live a sin-free life. 
or to walk by the Spirit instead of by the flesh. And the reason why a lot of ministers don't believe that is because they don't know how to walk without sinning. They don't know how to walk outside of the fleshly nature. And that's something that comes through revelation from God to you. He teaches you how to do these things. But one of the issues that we see a lot within at least some of the churches, my experience, my own personal churches that I've been to over the years, is a lot of them have a sin-conscious focus. And it's often a hyper-focus on a sin-consciousness. I remember, you know, I was raised Catholic and in Catholicism, it's just, you know, you're basically a horrible sinner. You're, you do all these horrible things and you got to come to the confessional and constantly, you know, keep basically saying how much of a horrible sinner you are. Well, that doesn't actually set you free from the nature that drives you to sin. And in the Protestant church, it's honestly not much different. Maybe I'm not sitting down in front of a pastor in a little confessional booth telling them about all the horrible things I've done. But in a lot of these churches, there's this constant reminder of, oh, I need forgiveness. Oh, I need forgiveness. Oh, God, look at me. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And you hear a bunch of false theology like that. That's like, look, we're not just a sinner saved by grace. We are now the righteousness of Jesus Christ, having been set free from these things. Jesus Christ didn't just come to help give us forgiveness so that we could one day die and go to heaven. He came to set us free from the law of sin and death and to empower us with the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. But in Christ Jesus is not a sin consciousness. It is a Christ consciousness, a righteousness consciousness. You become mindful of righteousness and not of sin. I assure you that Jesus did not walk the earth constantly saying, Oh God, please let me not sin. Oh, please let me not sin. Oh no, I can't look over there. I don't want to lust after her. Oh no, I don't want to get angry and beat that guy up. That wasn't Jesus. He didn't walk around with a sin focus and a sin consciousness. Rather, he walked around with a Christ consciousness, which I guess is kind of obvious because he, he is Christ, you know. But he walked around with this righteous mindset, this mindset that says, hey, I am here to do the will of God. That's what we see in Hebrews right here, verse 7. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will Oh God. Jesus says this constantly, especially in the Gospel of John. He makes this idea or, or this concept of what, what I've always heard is Christ reveals the Father. It's the idea that Jesus Christ did not come to do his own will, but the will of God. He came to demonstrate to us what it looks like for a man to be perfectly surrendered to the will of God. Well, we notice in Hebrews, back to chapter 10, verses 5 through 7, there's kind of this, uh, it starts off by talking about sacrifices and offerings. That's not what God desired. Sin offerings, not what God desired. This idea of me being constantly focused on a consciousness of sins is not what God desires. And yet it's what the church instilled into me a lot growing up. Both the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church constantly put this consciousness of sins. You know, 
I remember coming to the Lord when I was young and anything I would struggle with, I would come and I would say, oh God, please forgive me. Oh, I got angry. Oh, you know, oh God, please forgive me. Please forgive me. And I would beg for forgiveness for weeks, if not months. And the reason why is nobody taught me what I'm teaching you here. Nobody helped me to understand this. When the scripture declares, I believe it's 1 John, but it says, when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yet I didn't know that. Even though there was a verse in the Bible, I didn't feel it. I still felt guilty because I was still thinking about the sinful things that I had done. I was conscious of my sins. And so even after coming to God and saying, oh God, please forgive me, I would still remain conscious of my sins. Now, God didn't remember my sins. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17 says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. So at this point, I didn't need to keep coming and saying, oh, forgive me, oh, forgive me, oh, forgive me constantly because God was faithful to forgive me the, the second I said, hey, please forgive me. But I did not know how to walk in a consciousness and awareness of righteousness. I had been trained by the church to be conscious of sin. And that consciousness actually led me straight into sin repeatedly. I find it ironic that my experience of church actually helped lead me into sin instead of out of it because the church didn't understand these things. My experience as much of the church today is still very carnal. They're just not the evil side. It's the knowledge of good side. We're still exalting ourselves often above the knowledge of God. We are doing what we think is good and what we think will make us like God instead of learning to hear and follow his voice in his spirit. There's a difference, a big difference. So Hebrews 10.8, when he said, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. So the Old Covenant was a big focus on sin, on sin, on forgiveness. It was a constant consciousness of sin, an awareness of sin. Just like verse 2 tells us, Would they not have ceased to be offered if, having once been cleansed, they would no longer have consciousness of sins? But there was still an awareness of sin. The Old Covenant could not set us free. No amount of sacrifice could set us free. There was only one sacrifice that could truly set us free. And that was the sacrifice that Jesus made. So Jesus was sent down from heaven for multiple purposes. I mean, but really to bring salvation to mankind would be the overall theme. But he came down from heaven to become the perfect sacrifice because unlike Adam and Eve, who used their own pride to exalt their way above the ways of God, Jesus came down as the firstborn of many creation, the last Adam. He came down not as somebody's just set apart from us, 
but as an example of what we can now be with his spirit living in us. So Jesus comes down from heaven. He lives a sinless life because he is not sin conscious. He is aware of the will of God. And that's what he does in this earth is not his own will, but the will of God in this earth. He lives that life perfect. He is sacrificed and killed that we now may take part of that offering, of that sacrifice. Instead of me having to go and constantly sacrifice animals, which I never would have done anyways because I'm, I'm a Gentile and was never a Jew, but you know, no longer is that kind of sacrifice required. Now I just get to, by faith, put my faith in the Son of Jesus Christ believe that he was crucified for me, that God raised him from the dead. I believe this in my heart. I confess this with my mouth and I receive Jesus as my savior. A new life is now within me. It is the spirit of the living God. Christ is now in me and Christ in me is the hope of glory for mankind. Christ in me is what empowers me to become a manifest son of God, which is what the whole of creation is waiting for. Now, I still have the ability to have Christ in me and to not live from Christ in me. That was probably the first 15 to 20 years of my Christian experience was having Christ in me, but not knowing how to live from Christ in me. Because instead, my focus was on not being a sinner. That was my focus to go from, hey, I used to be a sinner to now I'm going to focus on not being a sinner. And all that did was led me into sin every time. Because where you, what you focus on, there your heart is. Jesus taught us that if we focus on darkness, our whole body is full of darkness. Well, me focusing on sin still fills me up with sin. Even if my focus is on, no, don't be a sinner, don't do sin, my focus is still sin. But Jesus also said, if our focus is on light, our whole body is full of light. That is key. That is, I don't want to call it a secret, but that is a key to unlocking the spirit-led life. We need to learn to focus on the light, the light who is Jesus Christ that lives within us. So if I walk around thinking, I will not sin, I will not sin, I will not sin, I am not living by Christ in me, the hope of glory. Because Jesus did not walk around thinking that way. He instead walked around thinking, what is the will of God in this moment? He had the Holy Spirit in him, he could hear the voice of God. He listened to the voice of God. He told us that the words he speak are not his own, but the words of God. The things he taught were not his own. It was God's teaching. His actions were not his, but they were the actions of God. Well, how do you know the actions of God unless you're listening to him and following his voice? We have the power to do that same thing. Now in Hebrews chapter 10 verses 15 through 16 this is right before he says i will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more 
It says, The Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. And where there is forgiveness of these, the sins and lawless deeds, there is no longer any offering for sin. So it is not that I shift my awareness from don't sin, don't sin, don't sin to yes, God, and then I accidentally end up in a whole lifestyle of sin as I think some ministers are afraid would happen. Uh, because I've seen that kind of expressed before, especially with there's been this whole fight about hyper grace versus not enough grace. You know, I don't know. I don't get it on that fight. I'm just telling you, I've seen a lot of people fighting over how much grace is appropriate and is grace what empowers us to live a sin-free life or is having a sin consciousness and constantly trying not to sin what empowers us to live a sin-free life? Having a Christ consciousness is what empowers us to live a sin-free life. And God puts his laws on our hearts and writes them on our minds so that if I'm going around and I am, I'm, not, I'm no longer conscious of sin, I'm not focusing on, focusing on sin, uh, not sinning is not my focus, but rather doing the will of God is my focus. Well, if I happen to, happen to stumble along the way, the Holy Spirit's still there to convict me. He'll talk to me. He'll let me know, hey, Eric, that's prideful. I was like, what? That didn't even seem like pride. But sure enough, it is. Not doing the will of God is a form of pride because that's us exalting ourselves over God's will for us. So I don't have to focus on sin in order to find freedom from sin. It's actually a trap because it's designed to draw us straight into a lifestyle of sin. This idea of having to keep the Ten Commandments hanging up everywhere, you know, and the law everywhere, and constantly reminded of all the horrible sins we've done, that is not Christianity. That's dead religion. And dead religion will not empower you to live by the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of Christ will convict you if you stumble along the way. If you mess up, but you're living by the Spirit of Jesus, He'll talk to you. Remember, you're tuning in to hear His voice. He will let you know and help you make any adjustments. But the difference is when Jesus speaks to you, He sets you free. So let's say uh, you're trapped. I'm going to use sexual immorality since that's kind of the part of the, the theme of what I'm going for is to help set people free from that. Let's say you're trapped in a, a sexually immoral lifestyle, maybe homosexuality, maybe some sort of transgender thingy, maybe multiple partners. Uh, this polygamy is becoming popular even outside of some of the traditional religions that had that. Let's say you're trapped in something like that. Well, when you begin to tune into the voice of God, he sets you free. Now, the reason that one person is trapped in that kind of lifestyle is not necessarily the exact same reason the other person is. It is to the effect that they're both coming from the carnal nature. But imagine one person is trapped in a homosexual lifestyle because they've spent years just watching porn and they just kind of went further and further down the rabbit hole until, oops, there they were. And somebody else is caught in a homosexual lifestyle 
because maybe they were traumatized or molested as a child. And so that they have a whole different reason they ended up in that lifestyle. So it's not like I can sit down and give tell both people, hey, you must both repent of watching porn, you know, or something like that. That's not the case. Not every human is precisely the same. But if both of them can be taught to learn to walk by the Spirit of Christ, to receive salvation and learn to live from the Spirit of Christ, Jesus will speak to each of them individually. He will set the one free from the trauma of the physical abuse, and he will set the other free from the mental addiction that caused them to end up in that lifestyle. So the, the solution for both is connect them to Jesus. Now, I've seen a lot of these religious programs that try to sit down and have a standardized, you know, the 12 steps of repentance or whatever, and they hope that that's going to be what sets people free. And people are rarely genuinely set free from that. Even if their behavior shifts, often it's still a struggle and a war with them for the rest of their life to not fall back into that kind of life. Well, the key is to learn to live from the Spirit of God within you and by the Spirit put to death the deeds of the flesh, whether it's sexual immorality or fits of rage or anger or enmity, any of that stuff. We must learn to live by the Spirit. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. And self-control empowers us to not fall into those sinful lifestyles. We have the ability to use self-control to not be led by the flesh and the carnal mind. Remember that even if you cannot see it, the carnal mind is death. To be carnally minded is death. And to be carnally minded is really a spiritual thing trying to lead you into a lifestyle of death. It's trying to separate you from who you truly are and at some point, if you could see into the spirit and see what's really going on with that carnal nature and, and that influence, it's not your friend. It's trying to murder you. It wants you dead. That's the problem with the carnal nature is it wants you dead. But in Christ is a life in life abundantly. So we need, we absolutely need to learn what it is to live from the spirit of Jesus Christ. So these are some just practical keys that I would give you and encourage you to pursue for really growing in this. First, I would encourage you to ask God the difference between the knowledge of good and evil versus life. Help you to understand when you're functioning from the old man or the old way of thinking. Because that guy is dead. You're not supposed to, to function from that guy. But if you can learn to recognize the signs of it, that would at least be helpful along the journey. However, you don't want to be sin conscious. So your goal is maybe to be able to recognize the signs, but not to focus on that. The second thing is you want to learn to hear the voice of God. If you don't know how to hear the voice of God, that is something that I do a lot in my ministry. I help train people with that. We have online meetings that you can come to in a very safe, fun, casual environment, uh, usually through like Zoom, breakout rooms, things like that. But you can come and you can get trained in hearing the voice of God. 
there are other ministries out there that also offer the ability to hear the voice of God. Some that are pretty good. But my encouragement to you is as you're out there pursuing them, uh, just be cautious because there's a lot of carnally minded people that claim to be prophetic uh, and, and some who are genuinely prophetic people, but they're still carnally minded. And so some of them bring death and not life. I've been involved in a handful of those ministries over the years where I've gone seeking life and better training and hearing God. And instead, I walked away caught in more dead religion with more problems, hoping one day to find something that would genuinely set me free. You don't want to stumble into a ministry like that. So if you tend to hear a lot of judgment and condemnation, that's not the ministry for you. Prophecy and hearing God is about edification and encouragement and, and uplifting and setting you free from captivity, not condemning you for being in captivity. Another key that I would encourage is to learn what it means to take every thought captive. Every thought captive. Well, what's going through your head right now? Is there, is there a, hey, am I angry at that guy for driving? Are you waking up in the morning thinking about sin? Are you are you going to bed tonight uh, at night thinking about sin? Are you meditating on, on uh, sexual immorality? Are you thinking about pornography constantly? Are you thinking about lusting after a bunch of people? What is in your mind? And immediately, immediately, when you notice something in your mind that is a work of the flesh, you need to take that thought captive even if that thought is offering you something that would seem good. Even if it's sexual immorality offering you the opportunity to have some sort of immoral orgasmic experience, you do not want to trade Christ in you for the carnal nature. I think it was, was it Jacob and Esau where Esau sold his birthright for like a morsel of food? You don't want to sell your birthright, your new birthright in Jesus Christ for something that would seemingly be less than a morsel of food because food at least nourishes you. Carnality destroys you. So learn to take those thoughts captive, but don't just take them captive. Listen, hey God, what are you talking to me about right now? Tune into the voice of God. Look, when I'm driving in the car and I listen to the radio stations, if there's one I don't like or they start going on with commercials, I just skip to the next station. I'm looking for one that, that uh, I do like. Let me find a song I do want to listen to, uh, not something that's not, you know, not good for me, if you will. Uh, I mean, for me with music, you know, it's whatever's pleasing to my ears, right? Hey, I enjoy this song. I don't enjoy that song. So I'm going to skip to the one I do enjoy. Well... In the same way, when these carnal thoughts come to you, you can just change the station and say, hey God, I, I need to tune into you. What do you got going on? Start reading the scripture, meditating on, the, on all the wonderful things that you can accomplish in this earth with God and Christ in you being who you live from. I would very much encourage you to do that. If you don't take the time to really daydream with God and just ponder, hey, what kind of things can I accomplish with Jesus? Do so. Look at the disciples in the scripture. He picks up 12 ordinary men. Maybe, I mean, we call them ordinary men, but they were some worldly people. 
the fishermen, the tax collectors, and he takes these people and causes them to practically turn the world right side up. What can Jesus accomplish through you? What's the fullness of your destiny and purpose and calling? I'm going to tell you, it's probably way beyond anything you've ever contemplated or imagined. But you have to get in tune with God to be able to achieve that purpose. If you spend your whole life trapped in sin consciousness, that is a prison designed to prevent you from ever walking in your true identity in Christ, which is that Christ consciousness or righteous conscience. Daydream with God about all the people that you could see miraculously healed, about eliminating poverty from mankind, about eliminating starvation and people and hunger from mankind, bring greater amount of food to people. What about eradicating death from some of these systems? I talked about that in a prior series about the Reformation overview. Well, what about you daydreaming with God? How can you become the solution to some of the greatest problems in the world? What if you can help eradicate death? What about abortion? What if you could eradicate all of the reasons that people end up in abortion? None of them are godly reasons. Maybe some people are there for medical issues. What if you can bring a, a greater solution to medical stuff so that we no longer have those issues? Uh, what about people that are there because of something that was unconsensual, maybe a rape forced upon them? We don't want, we don't want that. Well, what if you can become the person that learns to set all of mankind free from whatever carnal impulsive desires would even lead them to rape? What if you had a way to reform the education system so that you could incorporate that freedom into every single human being being educated anywhere in the world in any of these systems? I mean, start dreaming big with God. Because God is bigger than you can possibly imagine. And he is ready to reign the kingdom in for us here and now. But he needs people helping with that. And that's where we come in. We, just like Jesus said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. When we learn to surrender our will in our ways, and we begin to be transformed into our identity in Christ, we discover that God's will for us and the wonderful things he has for us is infinitely beyond anything we could have possibly daydreamed about on our own. God truly loves you and created you for incredible purpose, incredible destiny, and he has an incredible identity for you. And since the time you were born, there has been a war against you discovering who you were truly created to be. But today I just speak freedom into you. You will hear the voice of God. You will learn to function from his spirit and you will walk in freedom. You will overcome everything that the world has put on you, that the carnal nature has put on you, and that pride has tried to get you to embrace, to reject God for yourself and the world around you. You will overcome that and you will become manifest as a powerful son or daughter of God.